0: Chapter 17 of Marjorie Dean, High School Sophomore by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 17 A Step in the Right Direction. The days following the final break in the friendship between the two sophomores were dark indeed for Marjorie the tale of mignon's stormy outbreak at her party had been retailed far and wide it furnished material for much speculative gossip amongst the students of sanford high school and as is always the case grew out of proportion to truth with each subsequent recital Although the five girls who had banded themselves together in the reform that met with such signal failure refused to commit themselves, nevertheless the purpose of their compact, revealed by Mignon's sarcastic tirade at the party, was no longer a secret. Regarding the conscientiousness of their motives, opinions were divided. Certain girls who had a wholesome respect for wealth personified in mignon murmured among themselves that it was a shame she had been so badly treated while under the dean's roof a few still bolder spirits went so far as to criticise mrs dean for interfering in a schoolgirl's quarrel they asserted that mary raymond had behaved wisely in openly defending her marjorie dean was a great baby to allow her mother to run her affairs There was no one quite so tiresome as a goody-goody. On the other hand, Marjorie possessed many firm friends who defended her to the last word. For the time being, discussion ran rife, for youth loves to take up arms in any cause that promises excitement without stopping to consider dispassionately both sides of a story after the party mignon had lost no time in imparting to those who would listen to her that the deans had treated their guest with the utmost cruelty and it was for her invalid mother's sake alone that mary had resigned herself to remain under their roof and go on with her school her distortion of the truth grew with each recital and as the autumn days came and went she found she had succeeded in dividing the sophomore class far more effectually than she had divided it the preceding year when in its freshman infancy at the halloween dance which the western boys always gave to their fair sanford schoolmates dissension had reigned and broken forth in so many petty jealousies that the boyish hosts had been filled with gloomy disgust at the way some of those girls acted and vowed among themselves never to give another party there were exceptions of course they had moodily agreed Marjorie Dean and her crowd were all right girls, and nothing was too good for them. As for some others, well, they'd wait a long time before the fellows broke their necks to show them another good time. After a three weeks' absence, Constance Stevens had returned to Sanford and school. To her Marjorie confided her sorrows. So distressed was the latter at the part she had unwittingly played in the jangle that she wrote Mary Raymond an earnest little note which was read and contemptuously consigned to the waste-basket as unworthy of answer. Long were the talks Constance and Marjorie had on the sore subject of Mary's unreasonable stand, and many were the plans proposed by which they might soften her stony little heart, but none of them were carried out, They were voiced, only to be laid aside as futile. To Marjorie it was all a dreadful dream from which she forlornly hoped she might at any moment awaken. Three times a day she endured the torture of sitting opposite Mary at meals, of hearing her talk with her mother and father exactly as though she were not present. Mr. Dean had returned from his western trip. His wife had immediately advised him of the painful situation, and, after due deliberation, he had decided that the only one who could alter it was Mary herself. "'Let her alone,' he counselled. "'She has her father's disposition. "'You cannot drive her. "'You were right in leaving her to work out her own salvation. "'It is hard on Marjorie, poor child, "'but sooner or later Mary will wake up. "'When she does, she will be a very humble young woman. "'I wouldn't have her father and mother know this for a good deal, "'and neither would she. "'You can rest assured of that. "'Still, you had better keep an eye on her. "'I don't like her friendship with this La Salle girl. "'Mark me, some day she will turn on Mary, "'and then see what happens. "'I'll have a talk with my sore-hearted little lieutenant "'and cheer her up if I can.' "'Mr. Dean kept his word.' privately inviting his sober-eyed daughter to meet him at his office after school and go for a long ride with him in the crisp autumn air. Once they had left Sanford behind them, Marjorie, who understood the purpose of the little expedition, opened her sorrowing heart to her general. Sure of his sympathy, she spoke her inmost thoughts, while he listened, commented asked questions and comforted then repeated his prediction of a happy ending with a positiveness that aroused in her new hope of better days yet to come marjorie never forgot that ride they tarried for dinner at a wayside inn justly famous for its cheer and drove home happily under the november stars As she studied her lessons that night, she experienced a rush of buoyant good-fellowship toward the world, in general, which for many days had not been hers. Yes, she was certain now that the shadow would be lifted. Sooner or later she and Mary would step, hand in hand, into the clear sunlight of perfect understanding. She prayed that it might dawn for her soon. As is usually the case with persons innocent of blame, she took herself sharply to task for whatever part of the snarl she had helped to make. She did not know that the stubborn soul of her friend could be lifted to nobler things only by suffering, that Mary's moment of awakening was still far distant. But while Marjorie prayed wistfully for reconciliation, Mary Raymond sat in the next room, her straight brows puckered in a frown over a sheet of paper she held in her hand. On it was written, Dear Mary, Be sure to come to the practice game tomorrow. I think you will find it interesting. If it is anything like the last one, several persons are going to be surprised when it is over. I won't see you after school today, as I am not coming back to the afternoon session. Mignon. Mary stared at the paper with slightly troubled eyes. Estranged from Marjorie, she and Mignon had become boon companions. Since that eventful morning when she had chosen her own course, she had discovered a number of things about the French girl, not wholly to her liking. First of all, she had expected that her latest sturdy defiance of the Deans would elicit the highest approbation on the part of Mignon, greatly to her disappointment, her new friend, in whose behalf she had renounced so much, had received her bold announcement. I'm done with Marjorie Dean for ever, quite as a matter of course. She had merely shrugged her expressive shoulders and remarked, I am glad you've come to your senses, without even inquiring into the details. Ignoring Mary's wrongs, which had now become an old story to her and therefore devoid of interest she had launched forth into a lengthy discussion of her own plans a subject of which she was never tired of talking after that it did not take long for the foolish little lieutenant who had so unfeelingly deserted her regiment to see that mignon was entirely self-centred other revelations soon followed Mignon was agreeable as long as she could have her own way. She would not brook contradiction, and she snapped her fingers at advice. She was a law unto herself, and to be her chum meant to follow blindly and unquestioningly wherever she chose to lead. Mary tried to bring herself to believe that she made a wise choice. It was an honour to be best friends with the richest girl in Sanford High School she owned an electric runabout and wore expensive clothes at home she was the moving power about which the houseful of servants meekly revolved all this was very gratifying to be sure but deep in her heart mary knew that she would rather spend one blessed hour of the old carefree companionship with marjorie than a year with this strange elfish girl with whom she had cast her lot but it was too late to retreat. She had burned her bridges behind her. She must abide by that which she had chosen. To give her due credit, she still believed that Mignon had been misjudged. She invested the French girl with a sense of honour which she had never possessed, and to this Mary pinned her faith. Perhaps if she had not been still sullenly incest against Constance Stevens, the scales might have fallen from her eyes. But her resentment against the latter was exceeded only by Mignon's dislike for the gentle girl. Thus the common bond of hatred held them together. She had only to mention Constance's name, and Mignon would rise to the bait with torrential anger. This in itself was an unfailing solace to Mary. Tonight, however, her conscience troubled her. For the past three weeks, basketball had been the all-important topic of the hour with the students of Sanford High School. It was the usual custom for the instructor in gymnastics to hold basketball tryouts among the aspiring players of the various classes. Assisted by several seniors, she called the most skillful players to make the respective teams. But this year a new departure had been declared. Miss Randall was no longer instructor. She had resigned her position the previous June and passed on to other fields. Her successor, Miss Davis, had ideas of her own on the subject of basketball, and no sooner had she set foot in the gymnasium than she proceeded to put them into effect. Instead of picking one team from the freshman and sophomore classes, she selected two from each class. Then she organised a series of practice games to determine which of the two teams should represent their respective classes in the field of glory. Marjorie, Susan Atwell, Muriel Harding, a tall girl named Esther Lind and Harriet Delaney made one of the two teams. Mignon LaSalle, elizabeth meredith daisy griggs louise Seldon, and anne easton the latter four devoted supporters of mignon la Salle, composed the other there had been some little murmuring on the part of marjorie's coterie of followers over the choice miss davis was a close friend of miss merton and it was whispered that she had been posted beforehand in choosing the second team Otherwise, how had it happened to be made up of Mignon's admiring satellites? Miss Davis had decreed that three practice games between the two sophomore teams should be played to decide their prowess. The winners should then be allowed to challenge the freshmen, who were being put through a similar contest, to play a great deciding game for athletic honours on the Saturday afternoon following Thanksgiving She also undertook to make basketball plans for the juniors and seniors, but these august persons declined to become enthusiastic over the movement and balked so vigorously at the first intimation of interference with their affairs that Miss Davis retired gracefully from their horizon and devoted her energy to the younger and more pliable pupils of the school not yet arrived at the dignity of the two upper classes the sophomores and freshmen were still too devoted to the game itself to resent being managed to find in miss davis an ardent devotee of basketball was a distinct gain miss archer although she attended the games played between the various teams was not and had not been wholly in favour of the sport since that memorable afternoon of the year before when mignon had accused ellen seymour now a junior of purposefully tripping her during a wild rush for the ball Privately, Miss Archer considered basketball rather a rough sport for girls and they knew that a repetition of last year's disturbance meant death to basketball in Sanford High School. Two of the three practice games had been played by the sophomore teams. The squad of which Marjorie was captain had easily won the first. This had greatly incensed Captain Mignon and her players. A series of locker-and-corner confabs had followed. Mary, who did not aspire to basketball honours, had been present at these talks. In the beginning, the discussions had merely been devoted to the devising of signals and the various methods of scoring against their opponents. But gradually a new and sinister note had crept in mignon did not actually counsel her team to take unfair advantages but she made many artful suggestions backed up by a play of her speaking shoulders that conveyed volumes to her followers it began to dawn upon mary that these clever tricks as mignon was wont to designate them were not only flagrant dishonesties but dangerous means to the end quite likely to result in physical harm Her sense of honour was by no means dead, although companionship with Mignon had served to blunt it. She had remonstrated rather weakly with the latter on one occasion, as they walked toward home together after leaving the other girls, and had been ridiculed for her pains. She now stared at Mignon's irregular, disjointed writing, which in some curious way suggested the girl's elfish personality with unhappy eyes. Just what did Mignon mean by intimating that several persons were going to be surprised when tomorrow's practice game was over? It sounded like a threat. No doubt it was. Suppose someone were to be hurt through this tricky playing on Mignon's team. Suppose that someone were to be Marjorie. Mary shuddered. She remembered once reading in a newspaper an account of a basketball game in which a girl had been tripped by an opponent and had fallen. That girl had hurt her spine, and the physicians had decreed that she would never walk again. Mary put her hands before her eyes, as though to shut out the mental vision of Marjorie, lying white and moaning, on the gymnasium floor, the victim of an unscrupulous adversary. What could she do? She could not warn Marjorie to be on her guard. She had now passed out of her former chum's friendship of her own free will. She could not privately go to Muriel or Susan or the other members of the team. No, indeed. Yet somehow she must convey a message of warning. Seized with a sudden impulse to carry out her resolve, she picked up a pencil and began to scrawl on a bit of paper in a curious, back-handed fashion, quite different from her neat Spencerian hand. Over and over she practised this hand on a loosened sheet from her notebook. At length she rose and, going to her chiffonier, took from the top drawer a leather writing case. Tumbling its contents hastily over, she selected a sheet of pale grey paper. There was a single envelope to match. Long it had lain amongst her stationery, the last of a kind she had formerly used. She was sure Marjorie had never seen it, so if it fell into her hands she could not trace it to her. Once more she practised the backhand scrawl. Then, with an energy born of the remorse which was to serve as a continual penance for her folly, she wrote, To the sophomore team, Be on your guard when you play tomorrow. If you are not very careful, you may be sorry. Beware of tricks. One who knows. Following the warning, Mary slipped it into its envelope. But now the question again confronted her. To whom shall I send it? After a moment's frowning thought, she decided upon Harriet Delaney as the recipient. But dared she trust it to the mail service. Suppose it were not delivered until afternoon, then it would be too late. The Delaneys lived only two blocks further up the street. It was not yet ten o'clock. Mrs. Dean had gone to a lecture. Marjorie was in her room. If she met General, she would merely state that she was going to post a letter. That would be entirely true. She would run all the way there and back. Once she had reached Harriet's house, she must take her chance of being discovered. Drawing on her long blue coat, Mary crept noiselessly down the stairs. General was not in sight. The living room was in darkness. Only the hall lights burned. It took but an instant to softly open the door. Mary sped down the walk and on her errand of honour like a frightened fawn. No eye marked her cautious ascent of the Delaney's steps. She breathed a faint sigh of relief as she slipped the envelope into the letter slot in the middle of the front door. Then she turned and dashed for home like a pursued criminal. She had hardly gained the shelter of her room when she heard the front door open to the accompaniment of cheerful voices. Mr. Dean had evidently gone forth to bring his wife home from the lecture. Mary threw herself on the bed, her heart pounding with excitement and the energy of her brisk run, and though she was conscious only of having done a good deed for honour's sake, nevertheless she had faced about and taken a long step in the right direction end of chapter seventeen recording by ashley jane